Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So this morning someone said to me, what a beautiful day today. And Pastor Jim said, what a beautiful day today. And when I woke this morning, I looked outside and said, what a beautiful day today. We seem to have a, 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 a theme going here with beautiful days and the weather. And my sermon is entitled, Crazy Weather We're Having, Isn't It? Hmm. Um, I keep tabs with my friends back in northern Michigan, and uh, about two weeks ago, uh, they had a snowstorm come in, uh, a biggie, um, lake effect snow. If, if you understand the lake effect, like, like Mount Rainier, Christina Cheney was telling me, Mount Rainier can create its own weather. Lake Michigan creates its own weather. The Great Lakes create their own weather. And, it, and you can look across Lake Michigan and, and the radar and Wisconsin will be completely clear. Lake Michigan will be completely clear. And about 20 miles of, off the shore on the Michigan side, the snowstorm will form. And, and as it goes down the Great Lakes, that's why Buffalo just gets nailed down in New York. Just continues along and picks all that up. They had 18 inches of snow in one day where I'm from. Three days later, it was 85 degrees. The paradox of weather. It's a beautiful day. It's going to rain. Back and forth. Back and forth. <clears throat> I, I mentioned to my Sunday school class today that we were going to be looking at, the par- at paradoxes. Um, one thing that's not a paradox is if the sun is shining, I'll have more energy. It's just a given. There's something about the weather that for me just can, can bring me up. And, and if I'm in a stormy time or gray for too long, mm, it can bring me down. This all kind of plays in to our Bible passage that we're going to be looking at. But we're, we're going to be studying paradoxes today. A paradox is a statement or a proposition that despite being sound or apparently sound, uh, reasoning from acceptable premises leads to a conclusion that seems to be not logical or illogical or unacceptable or contradictory. Example, I never tell a lie. Well, of course. Or, here, let's put a positive spin on it, eh? I always tell the truth. Well, that's not true either. So that's a paradox. It's a paradox. Here, here's one. I heard this one. <clears throat> I heard this one at a family life conference, a marital con- marriage conference, where the they had segregated the, the the men to one side of the curtain, pulled the curtain. The ladies were on the other side, and the the man up front said, "Gentlemen." So I'm going to impart his wisdom to you, and I'm you'll notice I'm distancing myself from this is his wisdom I'm imparting to you. Gentlemen, there are two things that every man must understand about women. And nobody knows what they are. (laughs) See, that's a paradox. Now that I've lost half of you, stay with me. Here's a paradox. Everything is relative. 
Well, that's, that's an absolute statement. Or, or we could say, here's a paradox. Um, nothing is absolute. Well, that's an absolute statement. So I've contradicted. There are absolutes and there are relative truths. Here's one from our culture. And, and I'm serious, but I say it lightly. Remember a slogan for NBC. Friday night, must see TV. That's a paradox. Because I can't think of any TV that's must see. Paradoxes. We're going to look at some paradoxes in Scripture. And what, you know, we, paradoxes exist in our, in our walk with the Lord. Here's a paradox that theologians have wrestled with. The deity of Christ, 100% man, 100% God. The theanthropic nature, the hypostatic union, it's a paradox. They seem to contradict each other. But in God's infinite wisdom, they do not. The conflict, the paradox, is in our finite wisdom, our inability to grasp the bigger picture that God is painting for us. We're finite, He is infinite, and we're going to look at some, another paradox. God's sovereignty versus the free will of man. That's what we're going to look at today. If God is in control of everything... Why are there wars? Why is there death? Why is there disease? Why does He allow pain in my life? Why is He allowing for the circumstances that I'm going through right now? We're going to go to God's Word. Before we do so, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You indeed for this beautiful day that You've given us. And we thank You for this chance to go to Your Word and to see what you would have us see, to teach us what you would teach us, to open our hearts and open our minds, and ultimately to walk away filled, we pray, with your spirit even more, a deeper understanding of what you want from us and for us, and who you are in our lives. We're going we're gonna to walk on thin ice. But Father, I pray that we would lean upon you and your understanding, not our own. So I pray for understanding, and I pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Sometimes circumstances can leave us doubting as we wrestle with the paradox of God's free will and our, or God's sovereignty and our own free will. And we're going to look at two examples where we wrestle with the paradox of free will and sovereignty. So if you'd open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. Yes, Acts. Okay, the first example that we're going to look at here, where we'll wrestle with the paradox of the God's sovereignty and the free will of man is in Acts 27. Okay? So the story begins, and, and as Pastor Jim said, hopefully you've done some reading Boy, we've got a lot here. And, and I'm torn because between 
standing up here and reading the entire passage to you, and hopefully you, you have done the reading, but we can't get away from it. We can't get away from it. Verse 1, when, we, when we, it was decided that we should say, would sail for Italy, Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramantium to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Okay, they are, are boarding a ship with imperial guards, these are the, uh, I, I don't know my Latin, and this sounded almost, uh, almost Spanish to me, but they are speculatores, speculatores, a special, a special faction within the Roman imperial army. They are not assigned to a specific regiment. Um, they were often used, I love what I read here in one of the commentaries, they were often reserved and used in times of political intrigue. read sneaky spying. They were spies sometimes. They often traveled in plain clothes to go about kind of under the radar. They were often bodyguards, couriers, law enforcers, and sometimes they were executioners. We see that... uh, Paul has been given imperial guards. We know what's been going on. He's being threatened on all sides. And it's possible that a show of of Roman centurions traveling with Paul would really, really bring the spotlight to, there he is. It's possible that the forces traveling with Paul are in their plain clothes. Keeping a low profile. We're going to sneak him onto a vessel. We're getting out of here and we're traveling. So nothing happens to the precious cargo we're supposed to be taking to Rome. Story continues in verse 3. The next day we landed at Sidon and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea of the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Canetus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called the Fair Havens near a town of Lycia. Much time had been lost. Sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. The fast is Yom Kippur. This is in the fall. Sailing in the fall in the Mediterranean became pretty treacherous. Uh, Sailing in the fall anywhere in the northern hemisphere can become treacherous depending, of course, upon the the body of water that you're on. Um, But this this stretch of, of ocean was particularly nasty. They wanted to make good time. They wanted to make quick time. They wanted to stay as close as they could to land as they sailed because they wanted to get there uh, in in good time and in in safety. And this is a rotten time of the year to be traveling. And now we get to the tricksy parts. 
Our sovereignty and free will passage begins at verse 9. Much time had been lost. Sailing had become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Circle that. Ship, cargo, our own lives. Three things that Paul says are going to be lost. Ship, cargo, us. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. There, This was... This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. They probably moved on because the town that they had selected the first place was a small town. And if they're going to winter there, they would park the ship and, and, and go on to the land. And it was probably, a, uh, the, the decision was probable to move on because it didn't offer all of the kinds of things that a sailor would want. It didn't offer the kinds of things that soldiers on leave time, might have wanted soldiers of of not good character. So they went to a bigger city where they could have more fun during the winter. It's quite possible what's going on here. So as we're going to wrestle with sovereignty and free will, I think we better do a little definitions here. Sovereignty, the sovereignty of God is the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing escapes or happens without His direction or his permission. Uh, A.W. Pink, pardon me, said, What do we mean by the sovereignty of God? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the most high, doing according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, so that none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the Almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and on earth, so that none can defeat his counsels, none can thwart his purposes or resist his will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the governor among the nations, setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires, and determining the course of dynasties as it pleases him. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the only potentate, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. Such is the God of the Bible. And free will is the power of acting without the constraint of necessity or fate, the ability to direct one's own actions and determine one's own outcome. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign. The Bible teaches that man has free will. We have a paradox. So we have the loss of ship, cargo, and lives, our first paradox. What comes upon them then as we read to verse 20? Gentle wind began to blow and they thought they'd obtained what they wanted so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete before very long a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down from the island. 
The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days, the storm continued raging, and we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Ship. Cargo. And that last verse. Lives. They threw the cargo over to lighten the ship so it would be more buoyant. Um, I, I have no experience or knowledge or understanding of ocean vessels and ocean sailing. But having grown up on the Great Lakes, uh, you can't escape. Uh, no Michigan kid ever escapes learning about the Edmund Fitzgerald, an iron ore carrier that Gordon Lightfoot sang a song about uh, back in the 70s. An iron ore carrier that was an ocean vessel that didn't make it on a storm on the Great Lakes. In Lake Superior, um, I, I actually, uh, a friend of mine was on the Coast Guard, was on the rescue mission for the Edmund Fitzgerald, and we talked about it. And he had talked to several people who said, we saw it, and then it was gone. Like that. All that iron ore, they think, weighted the ship down so much. And I've seen, I've seen some video of, of ships, of freighters in storms on the Great Lakes. That you watch the ship rise on the wave, and as soon as it goes over the crest and drops, it, it almost you're thinking it's going to become a submarine. It's, it's gone under, and the waves come over the top of the bow, and they wash all the way across the deck. Edmund Fitzgerald had iron ore. This ship is carrying grain and, and, and other goods for sale, for merchants and cargo. We've got to get rid of this stuff. If you're going to jettison your cargo, you're saying, I'm jettisoning my income, I'm jettisoning, I, I, I'm, I'm losing money, I'm losing everything. I have to, it's, it's, it's a loss. We're giving up. They're in a panic. Now they're throwing over the tackle. The tackle are, are the pulleys and the ropes and everything that operate the sails. We're never going to steer this ship again. We're all going to die. Hmm. You'd think I'd have learned something. When I was a kid, we had this little sailboat, probably a 12-foot sailboat. Doubled as a rowboat. You could drop the... Uh, what a sailor I am. You could drop that thing down in the middle that would keep it from flipping. Thing. Anybody help me? The what? Keel. Thank you. Thank you. We would drop that down there and I'd put the little rudder on the back and I'd put the sail up, the aluminum mast, and take it out. And my parents said I could only do that if they were home. I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm about to sail three miles away from you. What's it matter? Now I'm 13 years old, and, and my parents went into, <laughs> I'm from the country, you can tell. My parents went into town, that's what we always said, my parents went into town to get groceries, 26 miles away, to go get groceries. 
And uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful day. I'm going sailing. Good Harbor Bay, flat, almost mirror. You could see the, you could see the other side of the bay reflecting in, oh, this is a day for sailing and a nice little gentle breeze. So I got the boat and pulled it down and put it in, did all the stuff. The neighbor said, aren't you supposed to only do that when your parents are home? They said it's okay. Free will. Sovereignty of dad. Conflict. Didn't really notice when the waves started to get a little bigger. Didn't really notice when the wind really started to blow. All I knew is I didn't really know what I was doing, and I went into a panic. I tried to pull. I, I lost control of the rope that held the sail. The sail is swinging, and the boom is swinging, and the mast is bending. And the, I'm in eight-foot waves now, literally eight-foot waves. I'm 13. At least I had the brain to put a life jacket on with me. And I am out, and here comes the sandbar. And I'm going to just, I know what's coming. I tried to pull the mast out of the rowboat to, to free it so that the wind would stop blowing and I could ride it. And, and that was my downfall because I really should have sat down. And I pulled the mast, and as it went up, the wind caught it, caught me, caught the boat, everything flipped. Boom, across the sandbar. And eventually, it took me a while to collect all of the pieces of the boat as they washed up on the shore and the sail. And then I had to drag the boat back about two miles up the coast and put it away before mom and dad got home. It's an even bigger storm than that, but the results are about the same. Sovereignty paradox number two, the loss of ship, the loss of cargo, but not lives. Let's read 20, Acts 27, verses 21 through 26. After the men had gone with a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. I should have listened to Dad. You should have taken my advice, and then you would have spared yourselves damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. This is the same man who said they would lose lives. Not one of you will be lost. Why? Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Which raises an interesting question for me, okay? Paul was told in Acts 23, verse 11, by God, that he is going to witness for God in Rome. If that is the case, why would God place a hurricane in the path of the Apostle Paul? Doesn't that seem like a paradox? It does to me. And then the Lord shows up and says, 
you know that plan I had for you, Paul? It's going to come to fruition. It's going to happen. Uh, Maybe here's our key. Paul, trust me. If I'm on the boat, okay? If, uh, If I'm Aristarchus, who's been traveling with Paul, for, for some time, and we see him in Acts. He's, he's the guy that got uh, uh, roughed up in Ephesus, right? And now he's, you know, sure, Paul, I'll follow you. Whoa, what is going on here? Every time I go with this guy, I got problems. If we let the circumstances around us dictate our relationship with the Lord, We're like the waves tossed about on the sea by the wind. Sovereignty paradox number three. Cargo and possibly lives. Let's start reading verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. 14 days When about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land, they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. All I can say at this point is good response. They prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, The sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Okay, I've circled these in my Bible and drawn lines. So I just want to do a quick recap here. We've got... Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. It's a paradox. Which is it? So they cut the ropes. They get rid of the lifeboat. They're in this together. And then Paul, well, sorry, let's, let's read it. Just before dawn, okay, no, verse 35. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And he broke it and began to eat, and they were encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Although, altogether, there were 276 of us on board. This this isn't a small boat, folks. Um, We know from Josephus there were some craft that that would carry upwards of 600. So it wasn't out of the the realm of this being a, a ship that existed. There's, there's about as many as we have right now. If we were to all pack into the pew on one side 
shoulder to shoulder. This is a big boat. And it's got decks and cargo holds. And this isn't some little rowboat and being driven by a, or sailed by a 13-year-old boy. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Paul encouraged them. Bad stuff going around. Circumstantially, Paul encouraged them. They responded. Paul was light in the darkness. They responded. Are you a pessimist? Are you an optimist? Where do you lean in your own personality? I heard this one. It's kind of funny, I thought. The pessimist sees the glass half empty. The optimist sees the glass half full. While the pessimist and the optimist argue over the condition of the glass, the opportunist comes along and drinks the water. I think Paul was an opportunist. Gentlemen, God has placed us in this situation. He is in control. His opportunity to witness to the Romans to say we need to follow His will, not our own. His will, not our own. We've looked at Scripture, and in the interest of time, I want to take us to another example where we will wrestle with the paradox of God's sovereignty versus the free will of man, and it's on our own journey of life. Remember, I said sometimes the circumstances leave us doubting as we wrestle with that paradox. Is God really in control? What about my own free will? Why are there wars and death and disease? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why are these terrible things in the world? There are consequences. There are consequences to all of our actions. Why does God allow pain in my life? Why is he allowing for the circumstances that I'm going through right now? Um, it was about uh, 12 years ago. Is that right? 14 years ago. Father's Day. It was a beautiful day. And Aiden, my five-year-old son, and I went backpacking and camping together for Father's Day weekend. And we went up to the place where I grew up and we, we pitched our tent about 500 feet above Lake Michigan on the dunes above there on Pyramid Point. We watched the sun go down and we watched the sun rise and we went and we swam down there and, and we had so much fun and then we climbed and did all sorts of things. It was just beautiful, beautiful time. And as we came home, talking about how much fun we had and we're pulling in and he couldn't wait to tell mom everything about what happened. And as we're pulling up and I hit the garage door opener and the garage door is opening, there's Candace standing there 
and luggage is packed. What's wrong? She said, we have to go. Dad's in the hospital. He's had a stroke and an aneurysm. He's not going to make it. We got to go is 10 hours away. So I opened the trunk and I threw everything to the side and I threw all of the luggage in and off we go. And, and that beautiful day suddenly wasn't so beautiful. And I, I made the drive and we got there and we went into the hospital and sure, there's my father-in-law hooked up and on life support and being taken care of. They put him into an induced coma and they prepared us for the worst. He's not going to make it. And if he does, he's going to be in vegetative state at best. You need to be prepared. My brother-in-law made the trip later, which was pretty significant because a few years earlier, my brother-in-law and my father-in-law had had a falling out. They hadn't spoken to each other in years. It was... It was angry, it was bitter, it was stubborn, it was terrible. <clears throat> and so my brother-in-law made the trip and he realized that that had to go, all of that bitterness had to go away. He said, Mom, I'm here, I'll take care of things on the farm, I'll take care of you, I'll help. Came in and held his father's hands, Dad, I'm here. I remember praying with him. They, dis, they started to disconnect the uh, life support and all the different things. The, the, um, is it the aspirator that the keeps breathing going? They took him out of the coma and they said, it's, it's time. And Tom, can you feel this on your feet? He won't, but he does. He was responding incredibly well. And then he began to speak and the first thing out of his mouth was, who, who won the Brewers game? You've got to be kidding me. I mean, I've heard of fans, but this is... And I looked in the paper, and he was right. The Brewers had played the team that he was talking about. He found out it was this day. He knew. He knew. Wait a minute. What's going on here? 90% of the occipital lobe of my father-in-law was dead. Non-functioning. Occipital lobe controls vision. You said, your father is going to be blind. And he was for about a year and a half. He drives now. Oh, which, by the way, he drives well. That's what I mean, okay? He drives well. He's doing fine. Why would God let such a terrible thing happen in my father-in-law's life? My father-in-law and my brother-in-law made up. They didn't just make up. They put it behind them. It was beautiful watching that relationship when, when my in-laws would come to visit and my brother-in-law would come to visit and we'd be together at the table and spend time. And about a year and a half later, I don't know why, but my 34-year-old brother-in-law went to be with the Lord. Can I look back on my father-in-law's aneurysm and say, praise God? I'm supposed to be thankful in all situations. When I let the circumstances in my life dictate my relationship with the Lord, trouble 
I need to let my relationship with the Lord dictate how I respond to the situations in my life. We're all going to die. Take courage, men. Take courage. How could a loving God allow people to go to hell? There's a paradox. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How do we respond to that? The answer... He loves us enough to give us the ability to choose Him. Last thing I want us to walk out of here with, because it ties into what I just opened up a can of worms on us with. What is it that God wants from me? Obedience. Bottom line. Paul was obedient to the Lord even in the face of paradox. Paul did not let the circumstances of his life dictate his theology. Instead, hmm, Paul let his relationship with the Lord dictate his actions. And our obedience is a testimony to God. Life can bring us storms. Which one are you going through? Which storm is battering you and battering you and battering you? And how are you responding? Paul broke bread and gave thanks. Sometimes I think that I'm blessed because I got to see why why God allowed my father-in-law's aneurysm. I don't understand why the Lord took my brother-in-law. And maybe I don't need to see it. Maybe that's just a selfish thing for me. Because we lost a brother-in-law. We lost an uncle. We lost a brother. We lost a relationship. And he was so well-respected and so well-liked at his business. And he was a leader in his office. I don't remember how many hundred people came to his, his memorial. But I know an entire shop of men and women who did not know the Lord talked about that man was a good man and the gospel was shared at his memorial. Maybe that's why God allowed it to happen. Maybe someone came to the Lord because the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but should all should come to repentance. And we just need to be obedient in our lives, in our actions, in our circumstances, in our situations, in our attitudes, and in our desire to serve God.
God is bigger than paradoxes. God is bigger than our finite minds can grasp. And quite simply, he just wants our obedience and our love freely given to him. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, no matter the size of the storm. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, this beautiful, beautiful day. We can come and we can worship you, and truly we can put all things all things into your hands. Our walk, our talk, our minds, our hearts, our spirit, our purpose, our eternal destiny, all things. I pray you bless us and walk with us and help us to walk in obedience in all things. In your son's name I pray, amen.